conversation around the colors of grace. And uh, haven't, you, haven't you enjoyed the last couple of weeks just as uh, the series around a prism and that actually, um, I love how God says in Matthew 5, he says, do you know who you are? I love that question. I think whenever Jesus sets up a question, he's not launching an investigation, he's setting up an intervention. Investigation is there might be something wrong. Intervention, I'm here to help you. And I really believe this series, the gospel is about a God that's here to help you and I. I'm, I'm reminded, I think sometimes that question, do you know who you are? I think sometimes we, we forget who we are. I'm not asking what you do. I'm asking, do you know who you are? It's a question that Jesus asks us. I'm reminded of a man by the name of J. John. He traveled the world, he travels all over, he's still alive today. And he was traveling on an airplane from the UK to Australia. And as you do on an airplane, you get someone you don't know and you start to meet them and there's a lady next to him, they started to talk. And you know how it goes when you meet people, you ask them not who they are, you ask them, so what do you do? Okay, just me. So what do you do? And so you ask him when the lady tells him what she does and anyway, she talks and she talks and she talks and she talks and eventually she turns around to him and says, so what do you do? So he answered her, he big smile on his face, says, I'm part of a global organization. And she said, really, a global organization? She said, yes, we're in every village, every town, every city, every nation of the world. And then she looked at him and said, really, that's amazing. So what does this organization do? He says, oh, we bring justice. We look after the rich and the poor, the widows and the orphans. We are the center of creativity. We bring innovation. We shape culture. We influence nations. We speak life. We specialize in belief and behavior transformation. And with that, she looked and she went, wow. And all three people in front and all three people behind leaned in. And she asked this question, what is this organization called? And J. John with a big smile on his face says, it's the church. It's the church. Friends, tap your neighbor and say, I'm the church. I'm the church. The church is not a building. The church is a vehicle by which God dispenses His grace through ordinary people's lives. We were born for this. We were born and wired for this. We are those people that speak life and bring life wherever we go. We are the church. We're in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, the genealogy comes up first. And there's 14 generations between Abraham and the next one, 14 between him and the next one, 14 to Jesus. That's 42, I count. 14 times three is 42 generations. The problem is if you count the names, there are only 41. There's a missing generation. The first Adam, out of his side was birthed Eve. God took a rib. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Blood, blood and water poured from his side, which signifies birth. Guess where the 42nd generation was birthed? The church, you and I, from the side of Jesus. And Paul says, you and I are Christ's body anointed by him. You and I are the 42nd generation. God's still writing his story. It isn't over yet, so there's hope for you and I. You see, I think our responsibility is not to go to heaven. That's God's responsibility. He sent his son Jesus to die. Our responsibility for the church is to bring heaven down to earth to bring heaven down to earth. And this, this, this series, Prism, The Colors of Grace, is really a look at how you and I can bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And Matthew writes that kind of story. Last week we heard about Jesus as king, the one who comes down to serve you and I. But today I wanna talk about how, you, how the king, Jesus, takes you and I on a journey together and how you and I can live in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus came and clarified and said something that shook everyone. He said, there is a new kingdom available. It's at hand for you and I. All you have to do is grasp it. And if you grasp it, you can walk in it. Who wants to walk in the kingdom of God? Who wants a life like never before? Not just for this life, for eternity. Well, Matthew gives us some insight. You know, we're talking about the gospels. What I love about this prism is that we're gonna look at all four gospels. There's four gospels, there's four colors, there's four faces, one savior. And I thought to myself, God, why would you give me four gospels? I remember when I was first saved, I met Matthew, I read Matthew, and then I went to Mark, and I was like, that's the same story as Matthew. And then I went to Mark, Luke, and I was, Luke's the same as Mark. And then I went to John, and I was like, John's a bit different. But why four? All of them the same. And yet God wanted to show us something beautiful through different pictures and different faces. They're different, but there's something for all of us to see. I need the baby boomers to help me here. Do you remember Police File? Just after the news, you remember it? Just, just before A-Team or Airwolf. Oh, no, no baby boomers here. What about chips? Anyone remember chips? Oh, the baby boomers are in the house today. And uh, do you remember that? And do you remember Police File? But you see, you know, Police File, they gave those pictures, you know? They gave a front on and then they gave a side on. And then they gave a backside side and then they gave this side. If you get arrested and you go to the police, they're gonna take four pics of you. Four profile pics that you don't wanna share on Facebook. Four profile pics. I, I think God in his kindness and grace wanted to give us four different angles of who Jesus was. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get five different things you've never seen before. You know, if you wanna get more water from a well, you don't make it wider, you go deeper. And the gospel, friends, is not a thing of let's go wider, let's you and I, over these next couple of weeks, go a bit deeper. Because when we see Jesus like we've never seen him before, it's gonna change our lives from the inside out. You see, the story of Matthew that we're looking today and what we looked at last week, the story of Matthew is about a king that came here. But before he's the king that provides, before he's the king that lifts us up, before he's the king that gives us authority, you know what he is first and foremost? And Matthew wanted to tell you this morning, he's a loving king, a loving king. I love Dill's story about the lion. We all got stories of lions, don't we? I was on a men's camp once, back in the early days of Link Church, probably about 11 and a half years ago. Six months in, we were raw and crazy. We were on a men's camp, Umphalosi. We stayed on the banks of the Umphalosi River. A little men's camp there. We baited a couple of hyenas, don't tell anyone. Anyway, so we're there, and we're all around, and we're sitting there, and we go for game drives. And like, you know what it's like, young men, we're six of us in this little uh, double cab, and we're driving around. All we want to see is lion. I mean, come on, you do, you want to see lion. But all we saw was impala. You know what it's like in a game reserve, like Impala, 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 and then all we saw second to Impala were rhinos. I thought rhinos were being extinct. They're everywhere in Umphalosi. Just go to Umphalosi. It's just rhino, rhino, rhino. Anyway, half past four in the afternoon, we come around the corner, and guess what we see? There's this pride of lions. Lionesses with cubs lying on this tarmac. We drive up like close, close, get close, get right, really close. As we're sitting there, like we put the windows down a little bit. We're getting braver. Six of us, it's tight in there. We need some air drop it down, we're taking some photos, and this friend of mine had a CD of a lion kill. So he puts the CD into the, and turns the volume up. Now, if you've ever heard a lion kill, it's like, mm, mm, mm. And, and you know what's interesting? This, this, this thing propelled out of the spokes. The lionesses hardly, hardly twitched. They just did this. The giraffe in the background, he took off like a giraffe does, like a the warthog that had been hiding in the thicket, he snorted and disappeared. We hadn't seen him yet. But the lionesses just move their heads like this. But as this volume is going down, we suddenly, some, someone turns it down and asks a very important question, where's the male lion? 
And with that, the guy turned around, and this male lion must have been about three meters behind our vehicle, walking with a certain purpose. Well, you know they say that men can't multitask. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I drive, I switch the volume, put the windows up, turn the air con on, and vehicle, put it in first gear, and he was ready to go as that lion hit the front end of the vehicle. That line looked at us, we got squashed inside. We moved inside. I don't know how we got in there, but we did. All of six of us crashed in, and this line just walked past, just gave us a look like it, and carried on moving. But it, the story paves an important point. You see, the lionesses hardly moved because they knew the king that was in control of their lives. You remember the Lion King, the movie? When the true lion, the true king, stands on the rock and roars over nature, Everything is in play and in place. In the other hand, if the wrong king's in place, it's chaos. God, Moses, Matthew, today invites us to put the true king at the center of our hearts. There is one king, his name is Jesus. He came down from heaven and he used these words, Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom and all else shall be added to you. Seek first the right king in your life and every other thing will fall into place. Who wants to get the right king? in their lives. And so today I wanna to take you to a scripture because last week we spoke about a king coming down. This week there's a king that's gonna take us to a new level. Who wants to go to a new level today? I love the Matthew's gospel because you know what he does? When he writes to it, he writes to Jewish believers, but he also writes to you and I. In fact, David Pawson said, if you wanna take the gospel of Matthew and put it in believers' hands, this is the one gospel you should because this will teach you how to live in the kingdom. This will teach you, if you want someone to know God, give him Mark, because that's for unbelievers. But if you wanna give a believer something to hold on and live his life, give him the Gospel of Matthew. And so today we read something that's gonna help you and I move forward. I've got a scripture I wanna read to you. It's from Matthew chapter 17, one to eight. Tap your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready, we're gonna read God's word. It's from the message, I'm gonna read it, and then we're gonna go through it. I've got a couple of observations on the back end. You ready to go? It says this, verse 17, six days later, what comes after six? Awesome. You know what six is? Six is the number of man. Six is where we end and then God begins. Six is when we've got nothing left in our human effort. Six is the number of sweat. Seven is the number of stride. Seven is God's number. Seven means this. God's number is completion and perfection. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm being perfected. I'm being perfected. It was on the seventh day, Jesus does this. He says, he said, Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before the eyes. Other translations say he was transfigured, transfigured. There's a difference between transformation and transfigured. Do you remember the old BMW that was made three series in the 80s? Today you don't recognize them because they've been, in South African slang, pimped up. <laughs> they've been transfigured. Once a year we go to the Berg and we arrive there, we see a little peacock. He's cute, small head, small feathers. Every now and then he flares up, shows us his colors. You know what's happened to him? He's been transfigured. You know, God, the gospel is this, the good news for you and our friends. It's the story of the Bible. There was once a man named Saul, and then he became Paul. Guess what he happened to him? He was transfigured. There was once a man named Simon. He was a fisher of fish, but then he became Peter, the rock in which Jesus built his church. Guess what happened? He was transfigured. You and I are invited into a transfigured life. I was once like this, but by the grace of God, I've changed. And he says, uh, he goes up on the mountain, his appearance changed from the inside out. It says that sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in a deep conversation with him. Verse four, Peter broke in. Master, 
this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love how Dill said recently, don't try and make sense of the supernatural. I think sometimes when something supernatural happens to us, we try and make sense of it. Peter was doing the same. You know what, I don't know about you, but in South Africa, we love it. Boer market plan, let's do something, let's build something. It wasn't the place to do it, but that's our default setting. You know what our default setting is? Let, my perfor- let, my, let me perform my way to God. Whereas, let me just surrender. That's the better, better, that's, uh, better posture to have. He was like, no, let me show you my strength. God was saying, no, Peter, it's time for you just to surrender. And then he, says, he said this, he said, verse five, he says, and while we are going on like this, while he was going on like this babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them and sounding from deep in the cloud a voice, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight, listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death, but Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. And when they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is this, Jesus, only Jesus. And I'm gonna have to ask you to help me this morning. I'm gonna say Jesus, and you're gonna go only Jesus. Jesus, 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 that is how we built this church. This is what this church lies on. There's one name above every other name. His name is Jesus. It's the reason we live. It's the reason why we stand here today is because there's only one man who changed our lives and his name is Jesus, only Jesus. And so I wanna take you today on a bit of a journey. I've got some observations from this text that I think can help you and I. Normally when we see some transfiguration and some bright lights, we go like, how is that? What does that mean for my life? but I wanna show you something because I think God's gonna show us something this morning. It starts with this. It says that six days later, they were invited up to this mountain. Before we get to the six days, I wanna see what happened before that. In Matthew 16, the disciples are with Jesus. They've been with him for three years, three years. And Jesus asked them another question. Not a question of interrogation, but more a question of intervention. I wanna see what these guys have learned. They've been with me, they've seen miracles, they've seen everything. And, and he asked them a question, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter looks at him and says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointing one. And Jesus says, you're right. And he, at that moment, Jesus says a word that he hasn't used in his ministry yet. He says, Peter, on this statement, I'm now gonna build my church. Jesus came to do two things in his life. The church, build the church and go to the cross. The church and the cross. And in that moment, he says, I'm gonna build my church. And then he goes and he says, and then in a couple of days, I'm going to the cross. You know what Peter did? Peter said, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to the cross, my buddy. No, 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 no. We came here, you're gonna be the king and you're gonna take out the Roman empire, you're gonna kill Herod and you and I are gonna rule and reign. He's like, no, you're not gonna do that. And Jesus rebuked him and said, no, 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 no. That was not my plan. I've come to lay down my life and they had a sharp contrast. They almost had a disagreement. Have you ever had a little bit of disagreement in your family? No. <laughs> you know how the tension goes on for a couple of days? Hopefully just one day, but for the disciples and Jesus, it went on for six days. The Bible says after six days, there's no conversation between Jesus and the disciples for a whole six days. Some people say, theologians say that it was the saddest time of Jesus' life. He spent three day, days with these guys and they still didn't want him to go where he needed to go. And for the disciples, can you imagine them? They were walking around like kicking stones, going, oh my gosh, is this worth it? Is my faith worth it? Is this thing that I've been invited to? Does Jesus even know what he's doing? He's telling him he's going to the cross. He started, they were filled with despair, disappointment. 
Listen, friends, I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever felt like in your life that where you're going doesn't make sense? Have you ever felt like God has sent you on a detour? I wanted to draw something with you. I think this is gonna be helpful. You know, this is what my plan was when I was growing up, the ignorance of youth. Don't you love youth? Here I am right here, woo, 18, feeling really good. Just got out of school. And there were a couple of things I wanted on my list. Number one, hey, totally license, Baba. I want a license. And then the next thing was in my peripheral view was a lady. <laughs> if you get the license, you get the lady. And then I thought, hey, you know what? Life is gonna be beautiful. Just an upward curve like the long life milk at Woolworths. It's never, I'm just long life, long live and prosper like the ANC slogan. And there'd be my finish line right here. Check it flag into heaven, halala. But, but let me show you what reality looks like. This is, this, is, this is social media up here. This is me, real life down here. Here I am. There I go, 18. Hey, Baba, hey, get out of school. Ooh, failed varsity. Woo, shucks. Oh, dad came to speak to me, a bit of a tightrope there. It came up like this, went back. I met Kath. Woo, love it, first sight. Woo, and then it took a long time to propose to her. I don't know what I was doing in those six years, but that's another tightrope right there. And then I met her, and then I went farming, and it was like, okay, cool. And then God talked me to the ministry, and I was like, whoa, okay. And then we had our first child, big gap, big gap. <laughs> and and, and, I, and I, wonder, I wonder if you've ever lived that kind of life. Now, pertaining to faith. Hey, God, I plan to go and do this, but now I'm doing that. How does that make sense? This was like Peter, James, and John. Jesus, we were gonna go and be victorious. We're gonna rule, I'm gonna get on my stallion. We're gonna take over Jerusalem. We're gonna be the guys. But Jesus goes, no, that's not the way I came. I came to die for humanity. I'm laying my, my, my life. And they're going, I'm confused, Jesus. And with that context, you know what he does? Because I love it, God's in the detail. After six days, on the seventh day, a day of completion, he says, boys, come with me. I wanna take you on a journey. You know what he says, the first thing he says? He says, let us climb up a mountain. Now, I would have thought when you're going through some really tough times, you don't wanna climb a mountain. This is what I wanna say, friends. Sometimes God's not gonna change your circumstance, but what he really wants to do is change your perspective. He's gonna take you somewhere. Sometimes when you feel like I don't wanna do it, but he's gonna take you. You know why? You know why I climb a mountain? What happens when you climb? You go to a new level. Listen, the gospel is not about staying in my comfort zone. The gospel is about making you stronger. You see where it says when Jesus was transfigured, how was he transfigured? From the inside out. Not from the outside in. Jesus was like, friends, it's time for you to climb. Who's ready to climb? I want, to take, I want you to climb because you're gonna get a new level of faith, a new level of hope, a new level of peace, a new level of joy, a new level of courage, a new level of confidence. Listen, friends, if you arrived this morning and you didn't arrive just to spectate but to participate, do you know what you're doing? You're climbing. If you wake up in the morning and you pray an honest prayer, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but I need your grace, guess what you're doing? You're climbing. If you're on a Bible app and you're reading the Bible every day and you're saying, God, your word and my world is gonna shape it forever, you know what you're doing? You're climbing. When you leave Sunday and you walk into Monday and you speak life and reveal Jesus and love those people around you that don't love you, you know what you're doing? You're climbing. When you love your enemies and you turn your, your cheek and you forgive other people, guess what you're doing? You're climbing. And Jesus says the best thing for you, a despondent people, not quite sure, come with me, I wanna show you something you've never seen before. Sometimes we need to change our climate because that's what happens when we climb. We go a little bit higher and we see a little bit different. And when we see different, it changes everything. 
they began to climb up the mountain. And it says when they get to the top, they see Jesus suddenly change his bodily form. He comes into something so much more beautiful than we could ever comprehend. He's not transformed, he's transfigured before their eyes. And I thought to myself, and I bet you asking that question, why would God show them a transfigured Jesus? Why would he do that? I mean, you know what he was doing? God was showing him what Jesus would look like in the future. I don't know, it'd be pretty depressing for you and I to look at our future, wouldn't it? Ourselves 20 years from now, mm, not good. <laughs> but I wanna tell you, you know what, Facebook, uh, the, the, the app's available, it's so kind to us. I've got a couple of pics here of us, look at that. <laughs> you. I've changed my message from only Jesus only to please Jesus, please. Please. Look at that, it's my pastor. Yo, my pastor's looking like the boss there, 30 years from now. But you know, that's the funny thing, you know, why, why would Jesus do this? Listen friends, when we look at ourselves in the future, it's not look, looking good, but the good news is from the inside out. It's in here, not out there. The world looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But you know when Jesus, because look at the words say, Jesus was being transfigured from the inside out. He's giving us a key there. Your transformation will happen from in here. So pay attention to your heart. I know we wanna do gym and do everything else, but look inside first for godliness and true contentment starts right here. And he says he's transfigured. And, and it goes back to the question, why would God do that? You know why? Because in a couple of weeks time, Jesus was gonna to go to the cross and he's gonna be so badly beaten, his face would be disfigured. He would have nails in his hands and feet that put a crown of thorns on his head. And he realized he wanted to show something so powerful to the disciples that he wants to show you and I today that we gotta look beyond the cross because Jesus stands victorious over death and he stands alive and light. The Bible says that in the end, he will stand victorious. The Bible says for you and I, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. In other words, Jesus one day is gonna stand victorious. He is king over all of humanity. He is sovereign, his sovereign hand stands over. In the end, he will stand victorious. You know what the disciples needed? They needed that because when we get a glimpse of heaven, it gives us confidence on earth. Friends, church, one of the best ways we can live in this life is to know our Savior has set it apart. He will live and reign. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That there is nothing that goes out with his watch. That he stands victorious over our lives. When you get a glimpse of heaven, you will walk with confidence on earth. Show me a bit of eternity, Lord. And those disciples, can you imagine Peter and James and John? Oh my gosh. You mean the guy that's gonna go to the cross will stand like that? He will in the end. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back for you and I, and he stand victorious. That's the good news of the gospel. Maybe your temporary situation, maybe you're going through some pain and suffering at the moment, but I wanna tell you, in light of eternity, it's nothing. God is with us, he is victorious. Paul used that language. He said, I'm going through some affliction. I'm going through some tough times, but you know what, in the end, the glory of God outweighs, outweighs everything else. They looked up and they saw him transfigured. Must have been an amazing sight. You know, when we come to the kingdom of God, we, there's a word that's loosely hung around, it's hope. The world has a word for hope. I hope Monday's gonna be good. Hope my kids get through school. 
I hope my job gets, I get a raise. I hope whatever, I don't know what you hope for. We use that language flippantly, but the Bible speaks of a different hope. It speaks of an unshakable hope, a certain hope. And I thought, how would I best explain this to you? And the best I thought was when I was much younger and I still believed in Father Christmas. I was six years old and I remember the Peugeot station wagon come outside. Baby boomers helped me out. Do you want to know the Peugeot station wagon? We had a Peugeot station wagon. It was 24th of December. I'm sitting in the living room and I asked Father Christmas for a BMX. And I peer through the curtain like this and the Peugeot station wagon comes up and my mom gets out and pulls out a half-wrapped BMX. I never realized Father Christmas looked like that. But I saw the wheels. And so that night we had Christmas Eve dinner and my aunt looked across me at the Christmas Eve and said, Mark, what did you ask Father Christmas for? So I said, I asked him for a BMX. And she looked at me and she was like, you seem quite certain. I said, I'm very certain. <laughs> I'm very certain. And I wanna tell you, that's the kind of hope that God's given us. That we have it, it's just not in our hands yet. We have the kingdom, we have heaven, we, it's in, we have it, it's just not in our hands yet. I have Christ's finished work in me, but it's just not in my hands yet. I have a, a future in front of me, it's just not in my hands yet. This earth will just be temporary, but one day I live for eternity because I share in Christ's glory. I have it, it's just not in my hands yet. When you get that confidence, you walk like nothing on this earth. You walk with a different step because you know in the end, the outcome has already been done. I have it. And then it's interesting, they see a transfiguration and then they see two characters next to them. So they climb up the mountain, there's a shift in climate, they see Christ's glory and then they see two characters, Moses and Elijah, having a conversation with Jesus. And when I look at that, that's truly amazing. You know why? For a couple of reasons. Here are ordinary men, Moses and Elijah. Moses is an ordinary man. He, in fact, he was a murderer. And Elijah, and there's, both their deaths are uncertain in the Bible. Moses, no one knows where he's buried. God buried him. He was 120 years old. The Bible tells us he was like a bull. He was full of life and vigor. He was walking around. God said, mm -mm, Moses, uh -uh, you don't get in promised land. And he disappeared. Elijah was grumpy. He ran away from Jezreel. He got in his chariots. He disappeared into heaven. Two uncertain deaths. And yet here they are with Jesus. Why would God put these two characters there? I think, you know why? Because we can associate with them. They're ordinary men. And you know what it tells me? Your identity will carry on after death. Look at Moses, he was fully conscious. He was having a conversation. I reckon he still had the same forearms and the same shoulders and the big beard. I reckon he had steely blue eyes. I think Moses, who Moses generally was, he was there when you could see him. He wasn't like half angel, you know, like mermaid. He wasn't like, he wasn't playing, he, he wasn't playing the harp in heaven. Hallelujah, No, he was Moses. You know what that tells me? Mark Slevin is gonna go on forever. You know, that tells me who you are to your thing will go on forever. That's what it tells me. I don't know about you, but that should give you great courage. That who I am will go on. Who I am, I'm, I'm conscious, I'm having a conversation. He wanted to show them that, to tell them that, listen, disciples, this little thing you're going through, it's gonna have limitless, it's gonna go on for infinity. Do you remember Buzz Lightyear? Infinity and beyond. That's what, they, that's what God wants to remind you, that your life is not just here, but it's forever. And so we live with a different cadence here on earth. And uh, your identity will carry on after death. It will. And your identity will be known after death. You know, in those days, they didn't have Instagram and photos. They couldn't look back and be like, mm, is that Moses? Mm, is that Elijah? They knew who they were. They looked at my, I don't know Moses. I don't know. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna know Ash. I'm gonna see Andre, I'm gonna see Rich, 
I'm going to see Vess. I'm going to see Rob. We're going to know each other. Listen, it wouldn't make sense for God to build a community on earth and then just put, cut it off for eternity. You and I are building the church and we're going to go on forever. You know, that tells me we still got many more people to reach. The hope of the gospel, the hope of this world is not the return of Christ. The hope of this world is that you and I would preach the gospel and see many more people saved. Is that we would reach more friends and family. Is that we would reach more people because you know what? We're going to go on together. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope. The last thing about seeing these two guys is that they share in Christ's glory. They just stand there like this. I'm with Jesus. Moses couldn't get into the promised land. Now he's enjoying it. I'm um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that shows me, look at the grace of God. Here was a man who, who promised to take his people into the promised land. He never did. He cut short. But God says, no, Moses, here you are now. And he's just standing there enjoying Christ's glory. You know, it says in Thessalonians, it says that, that we who partake with the gospel will share in Christ's glory. The Bible says those who are born of God will overcome with him. Who's born of God? You and I. You and I are gonna share in Christ's glory. Can you imagine it? And it says they were having a conversation, Elijah and Moses. I reckon Moses was saying, hey, Jesus, oof, you know, Hey, I, I thought about you. I was hoping you'd come one day. I'm just glad you're here. Elijah was like, I prophesied about you, Jesus, but you're, you're here. And I reckon Jesus must have looked back at them and smiled and said, you know, Moses, do you remember the time you lifted up a staff over the Red Sea and a couple of million Israelites went through? Well, Moses, in a couple of days, I'm gonna be lifted up on Calvary's hill. I'm not just gonna save a couple of million. I'm gonna save humanity. Moses' jaw must have dropped like the angels. Oh my gosh. They were standing in the presence of Jesus having a conversation. Friends, your identity will carry on after death. Your identity will be known and you will share, you and I as the church will share in Christ's glory. And then suddenly Peter, the Bible says Peter blurted in. You remember that statement he made? He's like, hey master, what a great idea. You know, sometimes there are three things that happen to us when we're very scared. We, we flight, we, we run, we fight, or we freeze. Peter, I think, was just freezing. He didn't know what to do. We, and when we freeze, we go back to our default setting. And he sat there for a moment, he was like, oh, you know what, master, let's build something. I'm gonna build a tabernacle. I'm gonna build something that's gonna house you. And I'm gonna, you know what happens in our default setting, friends, when we don't capture what God's trying to say is we try and perform our way. We try and, we try and build something in our own strength. Notice when Jesus invited the people up the mountain, it says that he led them up. He led them up. Some of you might be thinking, you know, the gospel, maybe the gospel is about a performance thing. I must climb up a ladder. No, it isn't. When we are led by God, we don't strive. We stride up the mountain. We take his hand and we follow him. And here he is, Peter. He's trying to make his own plan and he's babbling. He's a bit like a crab on the beach. He doesn't move forward or backwards. He just moves to the side like it. He doesn't know what to do. He's, he's overcome by fear. And you know what the Bible says? A cloud came and took over. A cloud came. It says a radiant cloud. A cloud of color comes over him. The Bible says it overshadowed them. And deep within the cloud, a voice spoke. You know, it was the Father. I love how the Father doesn't condemn Peter, doesn't look down on Peter, James, and John and go, guys, what are you thinking? You know, you made a mess up here. Come on, man, sort yourselves out. He doesn't do that. The Father just envelops them with the cloud of grace. You know, when I speak about cloud, something must twick in your brain. You know, the Old Testament, someone said the Old Testament is like a room full of furniture. The New Testament is when the light is switched on. 
And you know, everything's there in the Old Testament. We've seen clouds before. God led his people by cloud by night and day. We also saw a cloud with Moses. Moses with the law, where he went up the mountain, he came down with the 10 commandments. It was a dark cloud, the Bible tells us. It brought condemnation, brought that we couldn't ever live up to the law. But now, God in the New Testament comes with a cloud of grace, a cloud in which he invites people in. And he says these words, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. If this sermon and this series is about Jesus, only Jesus, the one thing we've got to do before we learn is to listen to him. Here's why it's exciting for you and I, because we are wired to listen to him. You know, people talk about uh, the Rugby World Cup last year. Who enjoyed the Rugby World Cup last year? Anyone here? Some Springbok fans. I enjoyed it. But you know what? They talk about the bomb squad and they talk about Rusty and they talk about all the coaching thing and how they won the World Cup. But there's one thing that happened on the day that the final World Cup that changed my thought of how they won this. Last game, final of the World Cup. And if you ever noticed in the whole precept to the World Cup, Rusty, when he sat in his box with his coaches, his assistant coach was never with him. His assistant coach was always on the side of the field. And his assistant coach, by qualification, is a physio. So Barati could be there, but that wasn't his job. The assistant coach was a physio, but his greatest benefit, his greatest gift was he's the best defense mind in the world. And you know what, after the game, the English complained. They said South Africa had 16 people on the field. You know why? Because they had an assistant coach on the field and they could hear him talking. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's a bit like the Holy Spirit. He might not be on the field, but he's definitely in the game of your life. And he's talking all the time. And Jesus wanted to tell Peter, James and John the key or if the Father wanted to tell them the key to you living this life is to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And when you hear Him, everything changes. And with that, the cloud came away and Moses and Elijah disappeared and Jesus is left. And you know what Jesus did? He went down and He touched them. The first thing Jesus does is touch them. He doesn't talk, He touches. You know, touch is the most powerful thing ever. You know why? Because it's personal. A touch is so personal. A touch is worth, a hug is worth a thousand words. The first thing that God does for you and I, afraid people, is come and touch us. And then he says, get up and don't be afraid. I believe you wanted to say that over Peter. Peter, get up because in a couple of days' time, you're gonna preach to 3,000 people that are gonna be saved and you're gonna build my church. Get up, James, because James, you're gonna write a letter that's gonna change the world. One letter so that people might believe. John, get up, you're my beloved. You're gonna see the book of Revelation. You're gonna write and change the world forever. I believe God's words over our hearts today is as we listen to Him, the invitation is for us to stand, to get up, because God is on our side. He is for us, He knows us, and He loves us. As we close today, Jesus, in a couple of weeks after that, He went to the cross. And He went and did what He said He would do. They nailed Him to the cross. And you know that when He died, the last thing he did was he bowed his head. He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head. Do you know that most people that die, in fact, everyone that dies from crucifixion, they throw their head up. Because in crucifixion, they break your legs, and the last thing you do is you die of suffocation, to take a breath. But you know what he did? He didn't lift his head, he bowed it. You know why? Because he came to rest in our redemption. He bowed his head so that you and I could have life and life to the full. 
He bowed his head so that we could stand in freedom. He bowed his head so that our sins might be forgiven. He bowed our heads so that we could look into eternity and stand with confidence today. He bowed his head so that we could build his church. He bowed his head so that we could stand strong. He bowed his head so we could be healed. He bowed his head so that we could start again. He bowed his head so that we could stand firm and secure in his love. He bowed his head for you and I. It's the story of the gospel. Why don't you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you.